Good evening, everybody, or morning, or whatever it is, and uh, welcome to the Projection List podcast. Uh, I am Max, and uh, to my left here, I got Ryan. Hello. And then across the table, we got Chad. Hello. And Jordan. Ra ra shish kebab. And uh, today, we are going to talk about a film called Night of the Hunter, and I have prepared a little statement. All right. Night of the Hunter is my favorite film of all time. Hmm. Released in 1955, the film was written by James Agee, who also wrote the script for The African Queen and directed by Charles Lawton. It's known primarily as an actor, films like Mutiny on the Bounty, Witness for the Prosecution, first film that Lawton made, and also his last, at least partially due to a poor commercial and critical reception. It's about a, a psychotic preacher named Harry Powell trying to find a, uh, uh, a treasure that one of his former bunkmates from prison has hidden. He finds out that the uh, the his uh, the prisoner's children actually know where the treasure is, so he kind of terrorizes them to get them to reveal the location. Essentially, a strange film which blends elements of film noir and German expressionism with the realism of its primary settings. Night of the Hunter was rejected by audiences at the time, but in the years since its release, the film has gone on to a much higher critical reception and has been selected for preservation in the National Film Registry by the Library of Congress. So. Let's start talking about it. First of all, I think any discussion of Night of the Hunter has to begin with Robert Mitchum's performance. Now, Mitchum was included at number 29 on the AFI's list of 100 heroes and villains. So I would like to ask you guys if you, if you think that's fair, if you think the character deserves to be recognized as one of the greatest cinematic villains of all time. Maybe, because I want to tell you this that I found. Yes. I don't know if you guys agree with me. And I'll, because I'm, I don't know how I feel about it. The film magazine, C A H I R E S. Cahier, I think it's Cahier du Cinema. Yeah. I don't know how you pronounce it, but I don't know what you're talking about. C A French, whatever. French it's French. Night of the Hunter is the second most important film ever made behind Citizen Kane. Wow. Well, hmm. I, I disagree. I, I, I disagree with that highly. <laughs> Me too. But that magazine was stating it. Um, I had no idea what I was getting myself you know, into. When you know what year that was published? No, I just got okay. that from Google. I'm sorry. Uh-huh. Well, I think statements like that are just dumb. Like, I don't get why Citizen Kane is the most important film of all time. I actually have no well, idea. Well, because of the techniques that they No, did. sure, but I mean, there are films like, you know, say, The Great Train Robbery, Your Birth of a Nation, or The Jazz Singer that had more of an impact. Roll the Rush? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, eh, mm-hmm. but... No. Not really but, what he's talking about. But sure. Yeah. But I would say, uh, with, uh, with uh, the character... I would say actually that Robert Mitchum probably played two of the best films of all time. Mm. Uh, with this, obviously, and um, Max Cady mm-hmm. and Cape Fear. Yeah, I th- he's he plays a brilliant fucking boogeyman. He's he like, is hey. the guy in Cape Fear. Yep. Thank you. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> because that fucking jawline. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. Go no, ahead. No, Robert Mitchum. Yeah, Robert Mitchum. He's a great actor. He's he's. I. I yeah, that's pretty much all I've got. I, I would say, yeah. I would yeah. say he definitely deserves it. I don't know if he deserves to be on the list. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he makes... He's a really good villain. Like, he plays that character really well. Yeah. It's just... My, my, my only problem is with... Because the character, he's menacing and all this stuff. Um, and he is evil. There's no gray area. He yeah. is He is evil. Very evil. And I think... I think I know there's like I know my opinion is is gonna be different than a lot of people. I, I just don't think that makes a great villain. Mm-hmm. The fact that he's just evil. You need, you need a little gray. No, I got you. You need a little good. 
I got you. I think I just have so much fun watching him that I forgive that. But I see where you're coming. You know, from. he's he's like he's great. Mm-hmm. The the characters, you know, really good, menacing. What you want from a bad guy? Yeah. I just don't think it's the greatest. I no. think it's the 29th greatest of all time. Sure, sure. I don't see how this film's important though. We'll get there. Yeah. We'll get there. Well, okay, going with that question. Um. I guess I don't got a statement on it. Yeah, I don't really. Yeah, I, actually, yeah, you took the words out of my mouth, Brian. Yeah, I mean, I don't see how he's labeled as the greatest of all time. I definitely see why people would say that, but I don't see anything special about it, really. I mean, he just—I don't. The movie didn't do much for me, to be yeah. honest with you. Okay, we'll get into that. Yeah, we will. We'll get into that. Yeah. All right. So, uh, continuing on with Mitchum, there's there's an element of absurdity, I think, to Mitchum's performance. There are even some movements that come close to like physical comedy. A bit like when he's lunging at the children coming up the stairs and he kind of do, doing that like Frankenstein pose and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Now, do those absurd, those kind of overtly comedic elements, do you think they make Mitchum's character more or less scary? I, I think they do. I think because Kurosawa does that with his actors. They do like really exaggerated, you know, physical uh, expressions. And I, I, I think... Being that it's a visual medium, and especially, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't know if he was he was at all influenced by Kirsa. Being a visual medium, I think that you can do uh, absurdist, you know, physical physicality uh, to get your point across. I don't know. I think I think it's effective. That's my mm-hmm. opinion. That's a really bad. Think it makes him scarier. I think it makes him scary because well because I think that the, the like for instance the lunging or the one scene where he's like how, like standing over a bed mm-hmm. they're like very iconic moments. Yeah, that's actually one of my favorite scenes where you know it, it's it's the two of them. It's him and Shelley Winters in the bedroom and she's delivering that speech and he just like reaches up toward the window. Yeah, and it like makes no narrative sense, but it's such a beautiful image and it's like so evocative. Yeah, I mean it's it's yeah it's visually it is very memorable. Yeah, and I guess it kind of makes narrative sense because he is like looking to God, asking him what he should do, you know. Yeah. But I just love that image. Plus, like he's he's a, he, as a character, he's you know kind of ridiculous. I mean, he's like he's like a like a a terrible, insane like a evangelical priest mm-hmm. who like to the oomph degree, you know. Yeah. And I think that considering that he is that character, like as in such a in such a way that I think his his physical movements are totally fine with being exaggerated. But what do you guys think about like, that? Well, I think the um, uh, some of the absurd little kind of absurdist moments, like when he um, uh, was trying to get the kids from Rachel <coughs> Cooper, sorry, and uh, he 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 gets back on the horse, says, "Don't worry, I'll be back." And when he's about to leave, he says, "When it gets dark," mm-hmm. it's like as an afterthought. I think some of the moments like that kind of humanize him a little bit. Because mm-hmm. for the most part, he's played as just this ghoul that's coming into town yeah. and destroying these kids' lives. Mm-hmm. Um, do I think it makes him scarier? Not really. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there are good character moments because okay. it, it, it humanizes him just slightly. Right. How do you feel? Um, this is black or white, um, but I just chalk it up as 50s acting. Hmm. Yeah, I'll be honest with you, because well, I've I mean, seen a lot of movies in the fifties. When, when Method started, Method started in the fifties. Brando was already doing realistic yeah. stuff. But the movies that I have is. seen, I'm just going off of what I've seen, because yeah. I haven't seen much in the fifties. Yeah. But the movies that I've seen in the fifties have been overacting a lot. 
So when he went up the stairs when they're in the cellar or the basement? Yeah. yeah. Is it a cellar? I believe so. Uh, it reminded me of Frankenstein, and I was like, oh, okay. It's this 50s <laughs> acting. I mean, that's just kind of what, because if you think about it, it's, I mean, think of some of those flicks in the 50s. It's kind of, it's far out there, sets, I don't know. You know, it, it's, um, I didn't think anything of it. I guess I was really disappointed in it. Yeah. Because I've done a lot of research on it, because when I see a black and white film from the 50s, I'm interested. Mm-hmm. Because I want to see where the industry has came, you know, has has you know where where it came from and where it's gone. So I always like to watch it. I just don't see how um, this is such a pivotal role for him. I I, I really Mitchum. Yeah, I don't see how this is such a big deal. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I don't think I don't see anything special. Meaning that I don't. I see iconic stuff in it that other people have clearly ripped off, like especially when the ladies mm-hmm. drowned in the water. I've seen that scene. Love and hate. Yeah. Okay. Love and hate from uh, from uh, oh god, do the right thing because mm-hmm. that's clearly where he got it from. Oh, very clear. Has to. So like that that spoke to me, and then also uh, the lady uh, that was drowned in the water, and I would know if it came up before, but that was Rebecca to me. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Like I, I, I kept on thinking about Rebecca about that. I don't know why I kept on thinking about Rebecca. Rebecca, I think Rebecca's Rebecca's older. It's in yeah, the thirties. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I kept on thinking about Rebecca. I don't know. I just. Do you like Rebecca? Oh, I do love Rebecca. Yeah. yeah. Okay. They're not wild about Rebecca, but we're not. Yeah, no. I, Rebecca. I, I, I was but anyway, no. I, I just, you know what? It's I crazy. get it. Yeah. Um, I just don't see how his uh, acting was anything to be. Pretty much get your pennies in a butcher about you know. Mm-hmm. I just I just don't see. Oh my god, this was great! I did it. I I, I guess I didn't see that moment. Yeah, but that's I, get, I guess just talking about a little what of what I see in Mitchum's role. I think he does make a lot of very unconventional acting choices and some very strange acting choices. I mean, I've heard that the, the decision to mix in more comedic elements was more for for Mitchum's career that he wouldn't be seen in like an incredibly negative light. But I do think it really adds another dimension to the character and makes him much more interesting. Uh, more, more of a, a contemporary example of that. Mm-hmm. Um, God damn it! What the fuck is his name? Freddy from Friday the Thirteenth. Robert England. Yeah, Robert England. Mm-hmm. Robert England does that. He's he's he's. I mean, he does a lot of absurd comedic things, and people eat it up. So I. I I guess I'm 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 bringing that up to like disagree hammy. with you. Yeah, sure. it's a little hammy. It is a little hammy, sir. Yeah. And it's but it's hammy and I think yeah. ham can be good. No, because like I enjoy it because I see him like being hammy and indulgent as him just you know kind of playing with the children, like messing with them. You we know? talked we talked about it last week. Dennis Hopper is incredibly hammy in Blue Velvet. At oh times, sure, but that's an, an incredibly iconic villain, as in the sense of of, of just p- like pure unadulterated evil mm-hmm. so I think that I, what, I'm, I, what I'm saying with that is that like I don't think having a problem with the hamminess of you know, of his actions is in any way bad like I, I feel like that's not a bad thing I mm-hmm. feel like that is effective and I feel like it's effective in the movie but I feel like it, it is effective in film in general for the most part, there are examples where the ham is really bad. 
Sure, yeah. But even some of those situations, yeah. uh, the ham is at least enjoyable. Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite examples would be There Will Be Blood, where he mixes, you know, this menace and humor really effectively. I think I think that's a similar performance to this in some ways. Yeah. Maybe influenced by it. I can't say that definitively. But um, I do want to talk about the other actors in the film just really briefly, because a lot of times I feel like having children in lead roles can be a detriment to, to certain films. But, I mean, sometimes it, it's not. Sometimes it, it really lends a lot to films. And I was wondering what you thought of the children in these roles. I didn't, I didn't like the, the boy. I thought his acting was terrible. Which is funny, because you said... I'm sorry, but... And I'll shut up. Um, what's the guy's name? The actor's name? Wait, oh, Mitchum. 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 Yeah. Evidently, he loved working with the girl. He hated working with the boy, I yeah, guess. No, the girl's fucking adorable. Yeah, she's, she's great. She's fucking adorable. She's but so that, funny. That boy, I just... His acting is... Awful. Yeah. No, I love Pearl because she kind of has that kind of like deadpan thing going yeah. on. It's great. And the way she, I like the way she talks. I think it's, I think it's just. It's so. Adorable. I think she's cute. She's really yeah. cute. Yeah. She's a cute girl. She's adorable. Pearl. I love when she like tells him no. Yeah. Like immediately. Yeah. Yeah. At the dinner table. A- after after the mother dies. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, no. Yeah. I mean the uh, the girl was great. Yeah. I. I Again, I was I was on my phone every time the boy was on screen. I just didn't care there's about the boy. There's a lot of times. I don't know, there's there's a couple scenes where he he smirks. Mm-hmm. Like he's the not boy. supposed. To, yeah, he's supposed to be scared or intimidated or whatever. Mm-hmm. He smirks like it's like a little thing on the side. Yeah, now and then I didn't notice that. Like mm-hmm. at like at the end, uh, well, in the third act when he's trying to get the kids from Rachel, and he's just standing there like he's all smirking. He's not my dad, but he's supposed to be scared. Right. So he's, the guy just tried to kill him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's also. I mean, Charles Lawton. He yeah. he hated working with those kids. No, I heard that. Yeah. He hated. Who's Charles Lawton? Which He's one? The, the director. director. The director. Yeah. yeah. He hated the kids. He hated working with the kids. Even the girl. Yeah. Really. Mm-hmm. Well, what? one of the things they say never to do is work with kids or animals. Right. And he built a movie around two kids. So I guess our consensus there is that Pearl is adorable and that yeah. the, the boy is. She's a good actress. Idiot. What's the what's yeah. the boy's name? John. John. Yeah. Don't like John. John. Um. John. Now, just really briefly on on Shelley Winters because I know a lot of people think that her arc in the film is kind of stunted and weird. Um, I actually I actually think it works. I find it interesting watching her kind of be like hypnotized and brainwashed by Powell. I was wondering just really briefly what you guys thought of her character. I thought um, there was a thing that I I don't really okay the women in this movie even even down to Pearl are portrayed which Pearl is kind of thrilled she's only three but they're portrayed as simpletons really hmm. like uh, Powell walks in and all all the women are enamored with him mm-hmm. they believe he's right and stuff and the whole thing they're talking about well you gotta have a man to raise your kids well that's the times yeah. though too. Well, I know, but, but then later strong. on, you have Lillian Gish, who's kind of a strong woman. I know. It's, it's uh, part of the contradiction between how they how how it shows uh, religion at the start with mm-hmm. Powell being a man of God, but he's just you know he's fucked up and evil. Then her mm-hmm. being a, a she's not a preacher, but she's a religious person. Mm-hmm. And I think he did that partially to show that he wasn't demonizing religion with the film. That religion is fine. It's just about you know people who pervert it and use it's it to a, their own yeah, ends. It's like radicalism. Yeah. Um, all right. So, 
One of my favorite elements of Night of the Hunter is the way that it blends realism with surreal expressionist elements. Uh, Lawton has actually said that he was heavily influenced by German expressionism while making this film, and I was wondering if you guys liked the mixture of real and unreal elements, or if it ever took you out of the film. I know I liked it because I like German expressionism. Mm -hmm. So, I dug it. I think, honestly, that's probably one of the best... Other than the Mitchum, I think that's one of the best things about the movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the way it's shot. That's a beautiful shot. It's definitely in the top. This came out in when? 55. 55. Yeah, and I absolutely love the German expressionism, too. So that was a quick question. All right. Um, now, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but probably the most famous iconic image from Night of the Hunter are the love and hate tattoos on Powell's hands, um, which, yeah, was referenced in Do the Right Thing. And I think a lot of people think it originated in Do the Right Thing, but it didn't. Um, anyway, um, do you think that this element of the film, this image, is genuinely iconic? And if so, why do you feel it's attained that status? I think it's iconic because a lot of because uh, a, a lot of filmmakers are copying it. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think a lot of filmmakers that copy it really get the metaphor behind it. Mm -hmm. Maybe my opinion of the metaphor is different than what it was. Mm -hmm. um, but to me, that's the duality of man. Maybe you would say you love and hate, mm -hmm. right? Um, so I really dig the fact that I didn't know this originated. I was the, like everybody else. Like you just said, I thought it was from Do the Right Thing and cool. And then when I see he has love and hate, I'm like, oh, oh, that's pretty cool. So uh, I liked it because I got to see where it came from. And I, and I like to know where things, you know, come from. You know, that's my opinion about it. Not a very good answer. But. That's a good answer. <laughs> I liked yeah. it. I liked it. Yeah. Answered the question. There's no right or wrong answers no. here. No, it's not. Anyway. Um... So either of you have anything to say on that? I mean, I don't, I don't think it's like terribly iconic. It's a great mm -hmm. character moment. The scene yeah. where he first does mm -hmm. it, it's a great character moment. Yeah. But I don't, I don't, I don't understand why it would go on and become this iconic image from the movie. Mm -hmm. I think the iconic image would be the scene with Shelley Winters in the bedroom. Yeah, yeah. that's a beautiful scene. Yeah, or him, or at the end where they're singing, well, I can't remember the song, but that him. Yeah, leaning on the everlasting arms. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's what it's actually called. I think so. Um, um, okay, so one of the odder sequences in the film that I think a lot strikes a lot of people as out of place is the scene where the children are floating down the river as Pearl sings that kind of creepy song. You get all those close-ups of animals and whatnot. Um, I was wondering if you guys enjoyed that sequence or if you felt like it was out of place. Well, it feels well, it kind of slows down the picture because you have that big scene where he tries to kill them mm -hmm. and they get away and it's just like what five minutes of them floating down the river yeah but what I th I, th I think in, in a way um, I don't know how well because I didn't really, I haven't really thought this out but it could be like um, uh, like kind of like the, the like the Garden of Eden a little bit because you got the man the woman you got all the animals and they're, they're gonna be they're, they're floating to salvation essentially um I guess kind of reverse Garden of Eden, but I don't know. It, it it does feel a little weird, but I think it serves a purpose. Like it's not just thrown in there to extend the time because the movie's kind of short, it's hour and a half. Right. Yeah. Um, I think it actually kind of feels longer than it is, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think that's kind of due to the way it's structured. Yes. Yeah. Um. So what what do you guys think of that sequence? Out of place, or did you enjoy it? I mean, it seemed weird, but mm -hmm. I get what he was doing. Maybe in my opinion, I don't know. Like I, I get that. He needed to slow down the picture mm -hmm. because the movie's not about Mitchum. Right. Yeah. It's about the kids. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, it's surprising and kind of 
uh, it kind of comes on, but that's not always a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It's just a, I mean, I'm trying to think of examples where yeah. kind of absurd things like that pop out of other movies that actually are really iconic moments. And I'm not saying that this one is, but no, I like it. I mean, yeah. I can't, you know, yeah. express I, exactly yeah. what I like. I just like, it just seems, I don't know, it seems like a strange little, the movie itself like as you were pointing out earlier it has this weird like mix of reality versus absurdity and 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 like i think it kind of plays into that mm-hmm. because like it, it almost like turns into like a musical number yeah which is very strange yeah <laughs> so i mean i like it it just i think it i think it fits with with what is already set up in in the movie. Actually, this time watching it, I was struck by how many songs there are in the movie. Yeah, there's a lot of singing in that film, and I, I think that's actually a really interesting element of it—the way he uses songs. Yeah, it's kind of like a, a weird quasi musical at the start. <laughs> it's really strange, but I like it. And I, see, I wanted to bring that sequence up because I personally love it. I find it really haunting, but. I know that that's, that's the kind of, of moment that could really... Um, you know, I would understand if somebody didn't like that moment. I would completely understand. Well, the first time the first time I watched it, I, uh, other than the stairs uh, in the bedroom, uh, that was one of the... Like, well, not that specifically, but the stuff with them alone and mm-hmm. them in the barn specifically, like, stuck with me the longest because yeah. it just felt... It just... It just felt very, uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's just stuck with me the longest. Yeah. I guess that's all I can say about it. <laughs> now we're, uh, we're going to get into my one major complaint about the film, which is that once they arrive at Rachel's house, uh, Lillian Gish's character, once they arrive there, I think the film gets very slow for oh. about ten minutes. And I was wondering if the pacing of that sequence bothered you or if you thought the moment of calm actually ended up benefiting the narrative. So it did. So Brandon, uh, who's my brother, and his uh, wife, Shariah, came over. And um, they dropped off some movies, and we had some beers. And then uh, the reason I'm telling you this is because afterwards, I sat at the computer at my desk, and I was watching Night the Hunter. And they gave uh, uh, Gina Harry Potter Lego, <laughs> uh, the first one and the second one. That 10 minutes was so boring to me that I turned to the right and I was watching Gina play Harry Potter Legos for 10 minutes. <laughs> That's how boring that was because right. I hate those Lego games. Yeah. So I was like, I'm more intrigued in the Lego game. No disrespect. No, no. I was just like, what you doing over there, Gina? Okay. Yeah, yeah it was not good for me. It, it's, it's The movie to me is up and down. The movie to me is a fucking roller coaster, mm-hmm. to be quite honest with you. And I, I can put it as bluntly as that. It starts off with, ah, and then, oh, God. You know, and then it's like, ah, and no. I, I just, <laughs> I was, it was like Citizen Kane to me, mm-hmm. in a way. So, it was boring to me. Yeah, I Very boring. Oh, it didn't bother me because of how it's structured. That's how it is at the beginning of the first act, kind of the beginning of the second act. They have this build up in the setup mm-hmm. to build up the setup of the story set up with Powell and now set up with Rachel mm-hmm. so it doesn't it it, it it being slow didn't bother me at all because by that point you're accustomed to it sure I mean yeah. it wasn't terribly interesting yeah. no that's what there was no but interest for it, me to it go. didn't bother me it didn't bother okay yeah you know what yeah I, I guess I would actually refrain that it didn't bother me 
But it, it did, but it didn't keep my interest, and I'd rather just watch Lego Harry Potter for ten minutes. Right. It did, there was nothing to keep me go, you know, nose to the screen. I wasn't I wasn't interested at that point. Right. So. I have honestly no real opinion about it. Yeah. I'm fine with it. <laughs> I mean, I I was when I uh, the initial time that I watched it, I was bored uh, with that part, but it's yeah fine. It's not. I mean. I'm bored sometimes watching Lawrence of Arabia, and I think that's a great movie, so... Oh, all right. Um, now, part of the reason I guess I like Night of the Hunter is I think it's a very hard film to define and pigeonhole into one genre. Like, I've, I've heard people refer to it as a horror film. I've heard people refer to it as a film noir. I mean, it, do you agree with any of these assessments, or do you just feel like it's a film that has, like, elements from a bunch of different genres and styles? Do you feel it has a specific genre or style that it belongs in? It's clearly not a horror flick. Mm. I would, I would, it's closer to a thriller than a horror flick. Mm-hmm. It's a thriller. It's not a horror. Absolutely not. But it's um, a morality play, really. You have clear to find good people, clear to find bad people. Mm-hmm. Black or white. Mm-hmm. Holy crap. <laughs> is that why he shot it? I was gonna. That's that's how I perceive it as this morality play. It's not it's not really a drama. Um, it has dramatic elements. It's not really horror, but it has horror elements. And yeah. Stuff. But for most, for me, mostly, it is a morality play. Okay. Um. Oh, I think, I'm, I don't know. I'm I'm not a big fan of the idea of genre. Yeah, neither am I. Really. I think I mean I think it's it's so that you can clap so that. Genre is so that you can tell somebody what it's about. Because mm-hmm. you can be like, oh, I want to make this horror movie. It's, like it's literally just so that you can describe it. It's just like stereotyping. You right. can mention it to somebody and they'll know kind of what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, you have to go into great detail. Yeah. And once again, I, I just really appreciate that the film cannot be cannot be pigeonholed into one specific genre. I think films like that should be rewarded. Well, if, if uh, it, it feels like a Max film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it kind of does. <laughs> and the, well, like, because I mean, you're a big fan of the Coen Brothers movies, and all their movies yeah. are like a mix between comedy and drama. No, yeah, no, there is certainly a similarity here, like a blending of tones <laughs> and a blending of styles, and and using you know comedy to enhance horror and horror yeah. to enhance comedy. Those are all things, maybe not horror, but you know, suspense. Yeah. Um, now, by the time of Night of the Hunter's release in oh. 1955. Um, color cinematography was already pretty prevalent. I mean, it wasn't as big as it would become in the 60s, but a lot of color films were being made. Do you agree with Lawton's decision to shoot the film in black and white? Absolutely. Was the budget for the film very high? Um, By standard. By, like, its standard. I don't think... Like, its time period. I don't think so. I don't know much about the actual budget of the film. Because I know, like, in the early days of color, a lot of it depends... Well, like, for instance, Wizard of Oz had a fucking huge yeah. fucking budget, so it was in color, so same with Gone with the Wind. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine this had... Okay, the budget was um, estimated 795000 so less than a million dollars. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess... I don't. I, what I'm saying is, I don't know if it was the decision so mm-hmm. much as, the well, money. we have this much money, so we're right. shooting it in black and white. I like, I mean, regardless of whether it was a decision or not, I like that it is in black and white, <laughs> for the joke that we made. Right. But no, I li- it's just, it's, black and white's nice aesthetically. <laughs> yeah, uh, black and white for me is fine. Um, I've always dug black and white movies anyway. I don't, I don't know why that's a big deal to me, but I know a lot of people, 
When I was younger, you know, going into film school and shit, they're like, black and white films suck. You know, or then you got the guys that are like, black and white films, it's all that matters. You know, it's like, God, you know, it's, um, I like the way this was done. I think it was the right choice. And uh, that's really all I got. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing right now. I'm just looking <laughs> for it. Well, it's like, the, it's like the same scenario that we have right now between like film and digital. I think they're both nice mediums. Mm-hmm. And as long as you take into account, you know, what you're trying to express with your film, you can use both. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you can use both digital and film in interesting ways. Like, for instance, uh, what was it, two weeks ago where we talked about Public Enemies... Yeah, and how that was shot on digital. That's that's an example of a bad choice of film stock. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think I yeah. think. See, I like digital a lot. I like it too. Sometimes. I mean, yeah. I, I I do. I I like both. No. I, yeah, each is certainly better suited to a certain. It's nice to know that a director that makes a big Hollywood budget and only reason I'm bringing it up because it's recent, but like Nolan when he did uh, The Dark Knight Rises and Dark mm-hmm. Knight, he shot that on film. Yeah. So yeah. it's nice to know. And yeah. uh, all of the, um, god damn it, all of the Lubezki, most of the Lubezki films, all of the, mo- the movies that he's served as DP on lately, who I'm pretty sure, like, several of the last few have all been shot on digital. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think that, the, and, and they've, they've, they've won awards, is what I'm saying. And I don't know, I, I think that they're both, they're both good mediums. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know if that's, hey, Max, a, that's anywhere close to the point. Yeah, that's yeah, close to the point. I was just talking about because you yeah. brought up. Why not? Black and white and color. Yes. Yeah. Of question for you. Yes. Has this movie had a remake? Um. Yes, I believe there was a made-for-TV remake. Oh my. That's a bad idea. In like the early '90s, I've never seen it. Oh really? Uh, that's unfortunate. Okay, I just didn't know. Because it seems like this movie would be remade. I just didn't know if it if it has been. Yeah, it was a, a TV movie in 1991 starring Richard Chamberlain. Yeah. Don't know who Richard Chamberlain <laughs> is. 3.8. 3.8. Who did go back there? Oh, you want to see the director? They're on IMDb right now. It was directed by uh, David Green. David Green? David Green. Who's David Green? No, it, oh, uh, David, David Green has made 86 movies. Most of them are TV movies. In fact, all of them are TV movies. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, he made one. He made a, a couple of theatrically released films. Uh, Godspell. Yeah. Never heard of Godspell. Yeah. Uh, there that's you go. not a musical. He, he directed a Twilight Zone episode. Oh, well, then he's awesome. From the, yeah. the 70s? Or um, like the, the reboot of the Twilight Zone? Uh, from the 60s, 1962. So, yeah. Wait, no. Yeah. So, so I think right at the run, tail end of the original. He's yeah. been around for a while. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. That's just my question. I just didn't know if it has been remade before. Um, Seems like a kind of movie that would be remade. Now, I want to ask you guys about a very specific moment near the end of the film. Okay. Where, okay, Mitchum is outside the house and he's singing uh, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms, which is a recurring motif throughout the film, kind of like um, the way Peter Lorre uh, whistles, you know, Hollow the Mountain King and M. It's just this recurring thing, letting you know the danger's coming. And there's this moment where Rachel, you know, starts to harmonize with him and sing the hymn along with him. And I was just wondering if you felt that that moment was symbolic, uh, metaphorical, or if you thought it was just a nice moment of calm before the big conclusion of the film. It's her way of saying she ain't scared. Mm -hmm. She's trying to drown him out with her voice. He's evil, she's good. Good's gonna win. Yeah. I think that's it right there. Yeah, I would say so. Pretty good. It's a damn good answer. Absolutely. From Ryan. 
Can you form your own opinion? I don't have one. <laughs> I'm going to agree with you, sir. Okay. Cool. All right. <laughs> um, fucking nailed it. Nailed it. All right, and I have uh, one final question before we move on to our final analysis. All right. And that is why you think the film suffered critically and commercially at the time of its release. You want to go first? You can go. Okay, uh, I think because of the stuff that we mentioned earlier about its weird mixing of reality and absurdity, <laughs> I feel like... I mean, obviously there were films like that at the time, but it, it, it seems a little bit ahead of its time. To a degree. Uh, and I feel like a lot of those movies probably weren't very popular. Uh, I don't know. I'm giving a very, very vague answer. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's because of the mixing of reality versus absurdity. Right. And that it's just... It's not an easy movie to, like, just... It's not Wizard of Oz. Right. You know, it's not everything's clear-cut and makes sense. And it's... Kind of not that summer blockbuster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, as far as critically, though... Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe because of Mitchum's performance and that it's kind of comical. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, uh, it's totally weird. Yeah. Because, you know, it's... I mean, it's, a, it's obviously a very serious film, but R- Mitchum's, like, basically a cartoon character in that. Yeah, essentially. Because it was, like, that one scene at the end where she shoots him. And then he pops up like Bugs Bunny. Yeah, and screams. Yeah, that huge like animal scream. Yeah. So yeah, I think I think it, it's because of its its weird tones and uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's my yeah. But you guess. Um, I think I think the reason it wasn't successful originally is because when it came out in the mid fifties, they were starting to um, not that they didn't have um, characters with a lot of. A lot of gray area a lot of bad and good um before this but they were starting to gravitate you know times were changing you know in the, in the 50s and going into the 60s and all that stuff mm-hmm. and this is just straight up everything is clearly defined mm-hmm. good and bad you got good characters you got bad characters you're watching them compete with each other essentially mm-hmm. i think that played played a part in why it didn't it wasn't successful um it's kind of a throwback really um it's like the 30s mm-hmm those types of flicks I mean I don't know exactly I can't tell you exactly why it wasn't successful um, critically because it, it's good it, I don't understand why critics wouldn't like it other than the fact that they were wanting something different right I Look, I mean well also it could fall back on the, the Ryan Gosling thing a lot of people had high hopes because they really liked Gosling as an actor a lot of people love Charles Lawton as an actor. Sure. He's a multiple Academy Award nominee winner. He won for Meet Nuts on right? I believe he did, yeah. Yeah. So they might, have, they might have been expecting more from him, and this is what they got. Mm-hmm. That could be what it is. You have an opinion on why? Uh, I personally, I think it's because at the time, it's 1955, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, anywho, uh, it's 1955, uh, America suburban America was coming up really they didn't want to see pictures like this and I just think people had opinions and everything was censored and I didn't think they cared for a flick like this they wanted to see happy things hmm, this takes place during the depression maybe that, that played a part it takes it? place during the depression but yeah, yeah. No, that, I know it takes place that's what I said that could have played a part that could have because they don't want to look at that horrible as, part yeah, of our past they don't want right. to it happened only 20 some years ago also just like Ten. Ten. just like five years later 
Peeping Tom and Psycho come out. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, like, people at the time considered them as, like, you know, really risque and, like, and like you know. The shower I, scene. She was yeah, naked, but no, she wasn't. And just, like, just, like, the... The violence of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, the this violence. is this is a this is a man, grown man, chasing after two children who he's probably going to kill. Yeah, it's really violent for 1955. I mean, I if I'm off base on that, please tell me. But I think that maybe that has something to do with both, honestly, because that does seem a little violent for 1955 yeah. for yeah. there to be a man trying to kill a bunch of kids. No, I think any movie where, where children are in peril like that, like real serious peril, I mean, it's not a very commercial topic. Well, I mean, the only other example that I can think of before this is, like, M. Mm-hmm. But that's oh. obviously not an American film. Yeah. So, I, and I, I think, it's the cliche, but, like, I think Europeans are a little yeah. Yeah. ahead. And as I've said, uh, I think this film does have certain similarities to M. Yeah. Yeah, I think they they are certainly similar films in a in a, in a number of ways. All right, so uh, let's move into um, final analysis, final thoughts. Whether or not you guys would recommend it. Who did we start with last time? Do you remember? I don't remember. I just go with it. I don't that care. Was so long ago. All right, that was a week ago. Well, uh, let's start with Jordan. Um, yeah, see it. Uh, it's something that you need to see if it, especially the love hate thing. If you want to know where that came from, if you had an interest in it. Uh, I don't think it's a bad film. Um, I, I got. I don't think I would own it. I'm glad that I have seen it to say that I've seen it. Um, I think the film. Um, I don't think the film suffers at all, and I don't know why it was critically panned. Mm-hmm. Maybe just because of the times. Uh, but I think it's a film that you need to see. I mm-hmm. think it's a decent film. It's not my favorite, but I respect the fuck out of it. Right. So it's definitely a see it for me. Okay. Good. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I feel like I'm. I, if I were to recommend this to like, you know, my dad or something, he probably wouldn't be that excited about it. I don't know. Maybe he really liked mud. He hasn't stopped talking about mud. Right. <laughs> yeah. But like, yeah, I would recommend seeing it. It's a, it's a brilliant film. That's pretty much all I've got. I mean, it's a it's a brilliant film. It's a brilliant acting job by Mitchum. It's an iconic performance. It's an iconic film. It's. Probably one of the best films of the of the fifties, I'd say. It's probably up there. So. Yeah, I'll go with that. Yeah. yeah. All right, Brian. Um, I like it. I think it's um, it's a, a good movie. It has all these, it has all these little things add up to uh, an enjoyable experience. Um, I don't see. I don't know if people nowadays would like it as much because like you know we're like this is just casual moviegoers we're not casual moviegoers um like casual moviegoer because it's it's completely different than what we would be used to uh seeing in theaters today <laughs> um but I do think it's worth checking out that I mean if you have if you have time watch it and uh, asking if I'd recommend this you know this is my favorite film of all time so yes I would recommend this I love how, how bold this film is. I love its mix of real and surreal elements. I love how well... I think this film does a remarkable job balancing its tonal shifts. I think it does that almost better than any other film I've ever seen, bouncing between you know, you know frightening moments and comedic moments. I think it does that remarkably. And Mitchum's performance in this, how he's simultaneously really terrifying and really clownish and buffoonish, it's, it's also probably my favorite performance of all time personally 
And so, uh, yes, I would obviously recommend you check out Night of the Hunter. Like Ryan said, I mean, it's... <laughs> It it, it, it it is a film of an earlier time, and it is simplistic storytelling in a lot of ways, and it's depiction of good and evil, and it's certainly not for everyone, but if you are legitimately interested in film, and you want to see a film that I think is, is really fascinating and took a lot of really interesting risks, or one where I think said risks really, really, really worked out in the end, yeah, I recommend watching this. And let's just end with uh, some recommendations. Well, well I actually have a oh, pleasure before we do the recommendations. Sure. Um, why do you think that this, that the, uh, critical reevaluation on this has gone so high? Like, from being, like, just, a, like, people like, this is, no, it's not good, it's like, it's fucking one of the greatest movies of all time. Mm-hmm. I think it is, it's, I, I, my personal opinion is it's a precursor to a lot of movies, like, like I mentioned, Peeping Tom and Psycho. Not that those movies were directly influenced, but it was a step towards... Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like Halloween being the first main slasher yeah, flick. Yeah, yeah, well, and, like, even even before that, like, you know, for instance, since you brought up slashers, Black Christmas came out, what, 74? Yeah. And, like, nobody really credits that as the first slasher, but really, it, other than maybe some people who consider Psycho to be the first mm-hmm. slasher, it's probably the closest to what we got from the 80s slasher movies. Mm-hmm. So I think that this is, I think that it is seen so highly now and, and respected critically because it is a precursor to a lot of, you know, things like uh, asking, like, more violent questions. Sure. I, I also think, I think, Night of, I think Night of the Hunter is a very strange film. And I think um, that its, its mix of elements, you know, certainly isn't for everyone. And I think that at the time they're released, a lot of bold films like this are kind of critically panned that you need some time to, like, step back from it and appreciate what it is. Because when, when something new comes, it's often kind of overwhelming the first time. So I think having some distance from it allows you to see see it for what it really is. Well, uh, I, I, like, a, uh, another example of, of a situation like this where Hitchcock, mm-hmm. originally, like, in his earlier movies... He wasn't that big of a name, but it wasn't until like Truffaut came out and was like, "Oh, he's the the greatest living director," sure. that people really started to respect him. So I feel like a lot of it's, you know, because of looking back and saying, "Oh, you know, this movie influenced me. This is a movie that uh, that highly influenced mm-hmm, me." Right. I think that's what pulls some of these movies up. Absolutely. So. All right. So um, recommendations. Who wants to start? Uh, let's see. I recommend everybody checking out. Um, you know what? Let's go with Rebecca since I brought it up. If you haven't seen it, Hitchcock film, one of my favorite of Hitchcock's. Check out Rebecca. Yeah. All right. Who's next? Um, let's just. I guess we'll just move clockwise. So me. Um, I I was also planning on recommending a Hitchcock film. Um, I am going to recommend you check out Strangers on a Train. Um, which is not the most uh, well-known Hitchcock film, I mean, but it's, it's my personal favorite, and I think it's another great kind of psychological thriller from the 50s. Obviously, Night of the Hunter doesn't have as big of a psychological element, but I think uh, Strangers on a Train is scary and tense in a similar way, and I think it's just a, a beautifully composed and shot and acted film, and I recommend that anyone with an interest in classic films or Hitchcock films check it out. Cool. 
Um, there's this movie I, um, I watched a couple weeks ago called um, Suicide Theory. It's on Netflix. It's a small, um, small movie um, about this guy who is depressed and he... What are you looking at? Oh, nothing. I'm just looking up. I think what I'm gonna what I'm gonna recommend next week. Okay, I just want to make sure um, I get it right. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a small movie. It's on Netflix about this guy who is depressed. He hires a hitman to kill him, uh, but when he tries to kill him, the guy finds out he's invincible. He can't die. Um, it's 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 uh, very well shot for a low budget film. It has a nice twist <laughs> and all this stuff. That what I just told you, not the big twist. But um, yeah, you should check it out. All right. You got a recommendation? Um, uh, if you've seen Night of the Hunter, I think uh, if you haven't seen Cape Fear, you should see it. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you can watch either of them. They're both, you know, they both have their... Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's probably Mitchum's other most iconic role. I, I, I'm trying to... I'm I'd say so. I can't think of another one that I would hold at such high regard. Yeah, watch Cape yeah. Fear. It's a really good movie. It's a great performance. Absolutely. Um, all right, so um, that's it for this week. Um, thank you very much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this, um, you can follow us on Twitter or on Facebook and uh, on iTunes as well. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll, Oh, we also have a Tumblr. Yeah, sure. So follow us on there. Have all of our updates on there. And um, thank you very much for listening. Really appreciate it. And, uh, See you guys next time. Have a great day.